right. No better way to start off a service than singing Jesus Saves. Amen? Good to have you with us this morning. Stand, please. Take your songbook. Turn to page 281. 281. Join with the choir on this next verse. Jesus Saves.
Chickens, one another, and smiled at each other this morning.
Terry, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Therefore, my sister, because of your profession of faith and in obedience to his command, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Therefore, my sister, because of your profession of faith and in obedience to his command, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. Amazing grace, 
This morning, would you raise your hand, please? We'd like to recognize giving you a visitor's card and a pen. Appreciate if you fill the card out and drop it in the offering plate when the offering's taken. And you may keep the pen as a gift of our church. Several things. If you haven't picked up your devotional yet, um, there the new ones are on the tables out front and also in the back. Also, there your tithing envelope for our book for the year. Be sure to pick those up. And then the new Bible reading schedule is out. So um, take advantage of all those things. Uh, somebody asked me about the, the stuff on the tables there. So do I have to pay for it? No, it's all free. Anything on there that you want, take it. You don't have to pay for it. If you wanted to put a $100 bill in, you know, to cover all that stuff, it'd be all right. But 
<laughs> Please take your handbook out and turn it to number 275. In number 275. Please stand in and join me in singing It Is Well With My Soul. When peace like a
Esther, would you come? Pray for those that are sick. Pray for Janice this morning. She's not doing well, and good to have uh, Wanda back with us, and also Joanne doing better. Continue to pray for her. And Nail back there waiting on some reports from uh, tests they've done. Uh, pray that everything will turn out good with that. All right, let's bow our heads now look to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and on the rest of our service here today. Uh, Jeremiah, would you lead us in prayer?
your ship tossed and battered? Are you weary and worn? Don't lose hope. Someone's praying for you this very day. And peace be still. He's already I'm glad that um, someone is praying for me. I value those comments when you say to me, Preacher, I'm praying for you. I think that's very important. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, there's, you'll notice in the songbook rack there, there's a Bible. And uh, so if you would, if you don't have your Bible with you, take, take that Bible out. And uh, because we're going to do a word study this morning, you need your Bible and you need to be 
looking at these these words that we're going to be looking at. So um, I'll give you I'll give you a chance to take the Bible out and be turning to First Peter chapter one. I always like to see see people bringing their Bibles with them when they come to church. <clears throat> and we'll uh, look at this together now. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you, and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, Peter writes here, you'll notice that, first of all, there's the word strangers there, strangers. And it's speaking here uh, of the people as pilgrims or sojourners in those provinces of Asia Minor. He, he refers to, to us, and this is all for, also for us, that, and that word strangers, uh, the root meaning of that word is people, a people alongside. A people alongside. That is, we're in the world, but we're not of it. We're people alongside, separated and different. We're not to withdraw out of the world or from the world, we're in the world, we're witnessing to the world, but we're not a part of it. We are, we are strangers, we're people alongside. We're the children of God, scattered among the cities and the provinces of the world. Now, Simon Peter is well qualified to, to write this to us. It's been 30 years since the resurrection of our Lord from the dead. He's been a faithful teacher and preacher in all things. And John Mark is his amanuensis. And he's called the second gospel in our Bible to be, be written, caused it to be written. And he has visited the churches. He knows the people. And he writes to them as their friend and elder and apostle. And notice now in verse 2 that he, he believes in the Trinity. And he names it, the foreknowledge of God the Father, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the blood of Jesus Christ. And notice also that he believed in the foreknowledge of God. He said they, they are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Now, do you have a problem with that word elect? You shouldn't have. Because he, he says here, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. See, God knows everything. He knows 
that you're going to be saved before it ever happens, but he doesn't make you be saved. But he knows about it. He already knows. In fact, God already knew before you were ever born that you were going to be saved, if you're saved. But he didn't cause you to be saved. I often illustrate, I realize it's not a perfect illustration, but I, I think about myself being in, in a small airplane and flying low uh, to the ground, and we're going over a highway. And there, there are two cars that are approaching a hill on the highway on this side, and there's a car coming up the hill on this side going in this direction. And the guy that's following the car over here, he pulls out to pass the car that's ahead of him. And the, the person that's coming up on the other side of the hill doesn't see him, and he doesn't see them. But from your vantage point, you know that they're going to crash. You don't cause it, but you know before it happens what's going to happen. That's what we're talking about in the foreknowledge of God. God doesn't, God doesn't choose somebody to, be, uh, to go to heaven or hell before they're ever born. That's nonsense. Uh, but he does know because he is omniscient. He is the all-knowing God. He's the eternal God. He knows before whatever happens what's going to happen. But he doesn't cause those things to happen. And then do you notice here the, the beautiful salutation that he has? A Greek, a Greek Christian greeting here. Uh, grace, that's translated from the Greek word charis. And then a Hebrew greeting, peace, that's translated from the word shalom, a Hebrew word. And then he speaks of our new faith. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again. That word begotten there is from two Greek words, meaning to be born again. So he speaks of us who have found refuge in Christ as having been born again in Jesus our Lord. And he says here that we were born according to the abundant mercy of God. Now that's a reflection of what Paul would say, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renew renewing of the Holy Ghost. In, in our first birth, when we're born physically, we have the gift from God of a physical body. The Lord made it, gave it to us. He breathes into our physical frame the breath, breath of life. And when, when you came and I came into the world, I came with, with some gifts. There are some things that, that I have as a physical being. These things are gifts of God. We, uh, we learn to speak, for instance. Animals can't do that. They can't do that. That's something that, that only humans can do. We learn to speak. We have other gifts, and they differ. We were born in this world with gifts. That's our first birth. But in our second birth, we're born in the gifts also. 
in the inheritance that we have in the new world. And that's the reason for the title of, of the sermon. The message this morning is the new world, the new birth. I heard uh, uh, someone uh, talking about that when you're born again, you're born into a new world. Have you ever thought about it that way? You're born into the kingdom of God. I was teaching about that in our Sunday school lesson this morning. There, there's the kingdom of God. There's also the kingdom of Satan, the God of this world. And unless you're saved, unless you're born again, you belong to the kingdom of Satan. You belong to that world. And when you get saved, when you're born again, you're born into a new world. You're born into the kingdom of God. And so a new, the new world of the new birth. And, and where we're born again, we're born into gifts in this new world, in the kingdom of God. And Simon Peter here, he names four of those marvelous gifts in which we're born when we come into the kingdom of our Lord. And this will be our message this morning. So I want you to notice the first one here. Our new world is filled with a living hope. We're born into a living hope. Look at the third verse. He has begotten us again unto a lively or living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the dead. Now that arises out of the personal experience of Simon Peter. Uh, he, like the rest of the apostles in the ministry of the days of the Lord here on the earth, uh, Simon Peter and, and all the other uh, apostles uh, they look forward to an earthly kingdom. And, and the Messiah, uh, the Lord Jesus, was going to be uh, the king. And Peter thought of himself as being a prime minister into this marvelous empire of our Lord. And all the, believer, all the uh, disciples believed that. You remember one time a couple of them got into a fuss about uh, who was going to sit where, you know, at the, in the kingdom of, of, of Christ. And uh, so they all, they, that's what they believed. They, they were going to sit maybe on the right hand of the Lord, maybe John on the left hand, and they were going to rule the whole world. Their idea of the kingdom of heaven was an earthly kingdom. But the crucifixion of Christ dashed that hope to the ground. And when Simon Peter saw Jesus die, every hope that he had in his heart died with him, dashed to the ground. Can you imagine, therefore, the, the transfiguration, the new hope, the new life, the new vision that arose in the heart and the soul of this apostle when the angel announced, he is not here, he is risen from the dead, and he goes before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him. Now, I want to show you something here. Mark, I mentioned a while ago, was the amanuensis of, of Simon Peter. Uh, that's the word just means secretaries. Amanuensis, he was the secretary of Simon Peter. He, war, he worked closely with the great apostle. Now, when Mark writes that, that glorious announcement of the angel, this is what he says the angel commands. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. And go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. Now, Peter was a disciple. But why did the Lord 
tell him to tell the disciples and Peter, be sure that you tell Peter. Tell Peter that he will meet you in Galilee. Mark is the only one that writes that, that adds that. Tell the disciples and Peter. And what that must have meant to Simon Peter is beyond our entering into because we've never experienced such a tremendous disappointment as Peter experienced when he saw Jesus die. And every hope died with him. And then the announcement, he is alive. And Simon Peter, having denied him, Jesus said, be sure to tell the disciples and Peter that I'm alive, that I have risen from the dead. What a marvelous thing. That he describes as a living hope in the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now that also is the personal experience of every regenerated person. We're born into that living hope. The unregenerated, unsaved person has no such outlook, no such hope, no such vision, no such persuasion, no such joy and prospect. The unregenerated man, the Bible says, is dead in trespasses and sins. He is without God, without hope in the world. And that's what the Bible says about the unregenerated man. And when you see humanity, you can see an affirmation of that in all the stories of human life. Let me see if I can give you an example to, to try to get across to you what, uh, what I'm trying to say here. Back years ago in the city of Dallas, the president of the United States, John F. Kennedy, was, was slain. And after all of the many commissions that have studied that, that murder, they've all come to the same conclusion. There was a man who did it by the name of Lee Harvey Oswald. Now his mother said of Lee Harvey Oswald, this man, this person who committed this horrendous act, in, in assassinating the President of the United States, the most important human being on earth, his mother said of him, he was such a good boy. He was such a good boy. That's what his mother said about him. Or take again the professors of Heidelberg University, what they said of Joseph Goebbels who was the right-hand minister of Adolf Hitler and who led the entire propaganda of media that built the Third Reich. The professors of Heidelberg University remarked about the splendid character of Joseph Goebbels as he was granted his PhD degree from the university. It's almost unthinkable how uh, the, the depths of degradation in the plain, common, human character. <clears throat> this man who in the eyes of many people had splendid character, but yet was guilty of committing such atrocious acts. Take one other man, the man Adolf Eichmann. You remember the search of the whole Jewish world for that man? 
He had slain under Adolf Hitler hundreds of thousands of Jews, thousands of them. And they finally found him, Adolf Eichmann, they found him in Buenos Aires, Argentina. And the people of Argentina said that he was their model citizen. Now, what I'm trying to show you is the depths of degradation that sin will bring you to. That here a, a human being, a person who, in the eyes of a lot of people, a model citizen, or in the eyes of his mother, such a good boy. The depths of sin in the human life are innumerable. It's like Jeremiah said in chapter 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Not just wicked, desperately wicked. And who can know it? Or as one, one writer said of that verse, who can change it? Who can know it or who can change it? It's unthinkable what human beings are capable of who are unregenerated. And that's why even the great apostle Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? This body of death. And then his triumphant word, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now that's what Simon Peter's talking about. A living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We who are lost and dead in trespasses and in sins and plunged into infinite despair and our own weakness, we've been raised to a living hope in our living Lord. That's what baptism pictures. When you get baptized, you're showing the world in picture what has happened. You're picturing their death, burial, and resurrection. That's what the gospel is, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Death, burial, and resurrection. Every person who's ever been saved ought to be baptized. Because in that act of baptism, you're preaching the gospel. You're telling the world, I'm saved, I'm a Christian, I've been born again. And that's the first gift of the Holy Spirit when we're saved. We're changed, we're born again, we're a new people. We have a living hope in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, the new world of the new birth. All right, now notice here the second gift in which we're born when we're saved. Our new world brings us an incorruptible inheritance. In the fourth verse, we're begotten again to an inheritance. And these words I'm bringing out to you, y'all don't align them, by the way. We're begotten again to an inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, this is a matchless revelation from God to his children and in, an inheritance. 
a sanctioned, settled possession, the inherited paternal estate already up there in our, in our name. You know, you've heard me say before, about the only thing that I care anything about watching on, on television is Andy Griffith and Gunsmoke. I like both those programs. I didn't get to watch those when, you know, back in the early days when they were on because I was too busy uh, doing the Lord's work and, um, and it didn't do it. But, but now they, they show reruns. And on my television, it's on channel 86, in case you're interested. Uh, channel 49 for Andy Griffith, channel 86 for Gunsmoke. And um, I think all Christians ought to watch those programs. Those are... <laughs> uh, but uh, on one, one program on Gunsmoke recently, this, uh, these uh, farmers, they had uh, bought a piece of land out west and, and uh, they it started, you know, they built a place on it and started uh, trying to farm the land and and so a cattle owner there, a man who had, who had owned all, he had settled all that part of the country, and, and so he was trying to drive them off because he said, you've settled on my land. And the, uh, uh, the people said, no, we bought this. We bought this, and, and uh, you know, we, 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 had, we have the title deed to it. We bought it. Well, the uh, cattleman, he goes and gets Matt Dillon, and they come out and said, you know, you're going to have to vacate the land. And the guy said, well, I, I, I bought it. I paid for it. I have the title deed, deed to it. And so they go back into town to the courthouse, and they find out that although he had bought it, he had paid for it, paid somebody for it, they had never registered the title deed. And so they had to vacate. They had to vacate the land. Well, I want to tell you this morning, I got a piece of property up yonder in heaven with a mansion built on it. And the title deed's already been registered. Yeah. And it's got my name on it. There's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's man, mine. And I don't have to worry about somebody making me vacate it because it's registered in my name already in heaven. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17, Paul writes, If the children, if children of God then heirs, Heirs, heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Christ. Heir, a settled inheritance that we receive from our Father in heaven. Then he describes that inheritance we have in the world to come. He does it with a series of what's called uh, alpha privatives. Uh, for example, you take the word corrupt and you, you, you put the prefix a or or e i n uh, those are those are what are, what are called alpha privatives that prefix on there the prefix i n on the word corrupt uh, changes it it means that it's not corrupt that that uh, alpha privative makes it not corrupt when you when you want to negate a, a thing, you put put an alpha, an a, or, a, or or whatever the prefix might be in front of it. Uh, like for instance, the word God, the, the the word the Greek word is the word theos, t h e 
OS. And you put, a, you put an A in front of it, and that is a denial of God. Now it becomes, it becomes atheos, and you, get the, you hear the word atheist in that, don't you? And everybody knows what an atheist is, that, um, he, that somebody doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe there's a God. No God. No God. Uh, the Greek word for knowledge is the word gnosis. And you put an A in front of it, uh, or a G, or a, a in front of the gnosis, A-G-N-O-S-I-S, a uh, that means you, you make knowledge, no knowledge, no knowledge. And so you have the word agnostic. Uh, when a person is an agnostic, that means he's an imbecile, imbecile. He doesn't know, doesn't know anything. He's an agnostic. And that's what Simon Peter's done here with a series of these alpha privatives. He calls this inheritance not corruptible, not perishable. Our Lord said, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust doth not corrupt, incorruptible, and thieves do not break through and steal. So this inheritance we have in heaven is not perishable. It's not credible. Nobody can deny us of it. It's ours. There's a privative again. It is without defect. There's no flaw in the title. It's not sullied by sin or misery. And it's unfading. He said, no fade. It won't fade. It won't fade. It's un." Fading, unwithered. And then he says it's up there reserved. Another word you ought to underline, reserved. The word to keep, to hold firmly. It's in God's unchanging hands. It's what God has prepared for us, and it's ours forever. And no one can take it from God's hands. Or deny us that inheritance I'm a child of the king I'm a child of the king and we're rich our inheritance in heaven is ours incredible undefiled and it will never fade away that's what we read here in the Bible now the third gift into which we're born again our new world that promises us eternal security. How do you know you're going to get there? How do you know you're going to possess it? Well, it says here in verse 5, we who are kept by the power of God. Now, that's a present participle here, which signifies continued action. It's now and forever. It doesn't stop. The word kept is built upon a military term, which means to garrison, to keep safe with the garrison. It's from a word for a, for a sentinel, a man who stands guard. And kept is built on that. But I want you to notice that the one who's standing guard, there's God himself. We're kept by God. You know, we're, we're here, this was 
this is a part of our Sunday school lesson this morning. We're here in enemy territory. We are. Uh, this world is no friend of grace. And our inheritance is over there, not here. It's over there. We're laid siege to by Caesar, by our, by our government even. Every kind of a trial and temptation is around us. Now shall we fail of our inheritance because, because it's over there and we're here? That's why he says that we're kept, we are guarded, we're garrisoned by the promise of God. It's he, it is God who keeps us here and who keeps us, keeps safe with our inheritance there. I had a lady came forward one time in the invitation and and she said, uh, preacher, she said, I've always, I was raised up in Pentecostal church. And she said, many a time I've gone to the altar during the invitation and the people would come by and they laid their hands on me and they'd always say, hold on, hold on, hold on. And she said, I've tried my best to hold on. I don't know what I was holding on, but I've tried my best to hold on. Said, I came over here this morning to to your church and you preach that we don't have to hold on. God does it. And she said, who am I supposed to believe? I said, well, you're supposed to believe the Bible. And that's what the Bible says. You can read it right there. That's what the Bible says. We're kept by the power of God. I thank God it's not my holding on. I'd have slipped away a long time ago. But it's God that does the holding. We're held in the mighty hand of God. Now, Peter wrote this at the beginning of the awful persecution of the Christians in the Roman Empire. Nero had just blamed the Christians in Rome for the burning of the city. And the cry of Rome was uh, that tossed the Christians to the lions, tossed them to the lions. And immediately the, the provinces picked it up. And he's speaking to those in those five provinces that are mentioned here of Asia Minor, who are suffering those fire trials that he describes in the following verses. So it says, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Heaviness, the word for grief, for uh, sadness. And it says that we're in that grief and sadness because of the manifold temptations. Trials, that, that's a, a, a word for trials, adversities. Now, now here first he uses that uh, concern of bad temptation, a temptation to evil. And the tragedy of, of their lives, the sorrow of it, comes out of the evil day in which they, in which they lived. Now in the next verse he speaks of a trial, however, that's good that the trial of your faith, more precious than gold, might be found to the glory of Christ. The first temptation is a trial to evil, but the next is a trial of character and speaks of strength and of victory. We're in a fiery trial, but God keeps us, and we're finding our property here. It may be confiscated, but our inheritance is over there, and nobody can confiscate 
what's over there. And that's what he writes to these precious people of the scattering in Asia Minor. Now the last thing, we're born into a new world and a gift that's to be fully realized at the end of the age when Jesus comes again. In verse 5, he, he said, we're born into a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, folks, you, we, we will never understand the biblical use of that word salvation if we don't understand this. Now listen, uh, this is vital for us because when we read the Bible, all three of these states of salvation will be referred to. Now listen, number one, the first stage of salvation is, refers to our deliverance from the wrath and judgment of God upon our sins. How do we know that we're not going to go to hell when we die? How do we know? How do we know that we're going to be delivered from the condemnation of evil? Now, that is the first state of salvation. I don't mean, I don't mean to infer that, that when you get saved, you know that, that it's in steps, that you know, it's progress that you make. No, I'm talking about, I'm talking about our realization of what has happened uh, when we get saved. And, and the first state of that is when we accept Christ as our Savior and we realize that he has delivered us from the judgment of sin. I don't have to worry anymore about the day when I stand before God because he's going to stand for me. He is my great mediator and intercessor and counselor. Isn't that what we're seeing? A wonderful counselor is Jesus my Lord. A wonderful counselor to me. He is our lawyer. He is our mediator. He is our representative. Jesus is. And he is going to deliver us from the judgment of sin. He has paid the penalty of our sin with his own blood. Now that's the, that's the first state of salvation when we accept Jesus. There's a second state and that is this. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and he remakes us and he gives us power and glory and joy and happiness in our present life. It's like that, uh, that verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. If any man be in Christ, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a born again creature. All things become new. Now, that's the second state of our salvation. We have Jesus in our hearts now, and we have victory now. We have the love of God in our souls now, and we praise his soul or his name now, and we sing and we glorify his name and worship him and adore him now. And that's the second state of salvation, praising God and the Holy Spirit having made us new people. Now, there's a third one. That's, that's yet to be. That's in the future. There's a third state. And that's when Jesus, uh, when he's revealed, when he comes again. And those are the words that Simon Peter uses here. It is salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. 
The book of Revelation begins with, with that word, the revealing, the revealing of Jesus Christ. When you pick up a New Testament, you turn to the book of Revelation, that's the, that's the first thing you'll see. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. We don't see him, we don't see him now personally. Up there with God in heaven, veiled over by whatever. Many things that veil our Lord from us. But someday, someday, he's personally going to appear unveiled. Unveiled. The unveiling of Jesus Christ. And we shall see him as he is our glorious and wonderful Lord. Uh, what do you mean, preach about this state? Well, the Bible says that we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right now, we're not exactly like him, are we? But we shall be like him. The unveiling that's the fourth promise and the fourth gift into which we're born. In a salvation revealed to be revealed at the end of the age at the last time. You know, it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, to know God. Our inheritance is not here, it's there. That's what Peter's saying. And we're to look up and lift up our heads for our Savior is over there, and the day is coming when he'll be unveiled, and we'll see him, be a joint heir with him. I say it's a wonderful thing to be a Christian, Amen. to love the Lord Jesus, to know him as our personal Savior, to be in Christ. And not only the things that we Rejoice in now, but all, as the old song, song leaders sing, oh, that will be glory for me, glory for me, glory for me, on that day when we see him. Would you stand, please, with your heads bowed?